People think I'm damaged goods. I'm worried about losing my job. Will I ever get a transplant? I want to see my children graduate from college. How can I afford this? I don't want to be a burden. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed with information. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever fall in love and get married. I just want to play with my friends. You're listening to Kidney Talk, streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen First. Well, we're here in another episode of Kidney Talk, Stephen. Absolutely. I love the way you call them episodes. You it's know. an episode. Everything mm-hmm. with you is an episode. Right. I have to go to counseling after Kidney Talk I shows. We, we have a doctor today. We do. Dr. Rafi Manassian. doctors. I know, because we learn so much about healthcare from physicians, because right. we have such limited time with them. So, welcome to the show, Dr. Manassian. Hi. Nice to be back. <laughs> we're so happy that you're here today, because we're going to talk a little bit about a really important topic. Topic that I think doesn't get enough of attention with patients. And it's basically when you're getting dialysis, you get either adequate or optimal. They say adequate dialysis. I'm giving you adequate dialysis. Can you explain what that is and why aren't we getting optimal dialysis? Well, I'm going to start by saying that uh, we don't really know what adequate is. Optimal today would be to get the most dialysis you can so that you would be most like a person who didn't have kidney disease. And when we talk about kidney disease nowadays, you know, we're talking about stages of kidney disease, mm-hmm. one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, and you're four, on dialysis, five. you're six. So the point is being... Is six dialysis or is it five? Actually, 585.6 encoding, but 585. Uh, stage five people consider dialysis. It's 15% or below a stage five. Oh, okay. So that includes dialysis. But what I wanted to say about that is that the patients who are actually getting, for example, the most dialysis they can, which would be with aggressive treatment all night long in their home six days a week, we think those patients become like CKD stage two and three people. And we start talking about how more dialysis brings you back out of the realm of being a dialysis patient to an earlier stage. And with adequate dialysis, you can actually get to that point. The problem with adequacy today is that we know that what we do as a standard of treatment, which is the defined adequacy that is known to our dialysis patients as their KT over V, their clearance during an individual dialysis what, treatment. What is KT over V? What does that stand for? The KT over V, are the, it's a constant. Uh, T is the time and the V is the volume. But it's, yeah, a, it's, mathemat- it's a mathematical <laughs> you know equation. This math equation? No. But it's a mathematical <laughs> equation. And you know what? The nephrologist won't be able to calculate it themselves. It's done by the computer. It's based on um, your time on the dialysis and how much clearance you're getting. But it's an expression of how much is your blood cleaned in that session of treatment. And so we, the standard is like 1.4? Is 1.4 would be considered good. 1.2 is considered... So it's almost like the same numbers as a creatinine. You know, the creatinine is uh, variable because... Of depending on your body mass where a normal person little old lady who has very small muscle mass a normal creatinine might be 0.3 and a muscular guy might be 1.4 so it could be 400% difference (laughs) so we talk about creatinine clearance or glomerular filtration rate to normalize that and give you like a percent of kidney function. When we talk about KT over V, we're talking about an expression of how much clearance you get and traditionally we look at KT over V in terms of 
per dialysis treatment, and it's standardized for people who usually get three treatments a week. And then we look at that for home patients and PD patients in terms of your weekly clearances. Mm -hmm. So the weekly clearance, for example, for a home hemodialysis patient is supposed to be this KT over V of 2.1. For an individual treatment, the minimum somebody would accept in the U.S. is 1.2, and most of us use 1.4. A lot of European standard is 1.4, 1.6. But the problem with adequacy is that we looked at that number of KT over V. We tried to push that up and do the study that they did in the United States most recently. It was called the HEMO study. And in doing that, they tried to provide more dialysis, a bigger KT over V. Okay. And they found that it didn't help at all. It didn't help to according to who? The patient uh, and how the patient According did, to how or? long patients lived, how, a lot, how often they went to the hospital, how sick they got. So it didn't... That's just fine. I find that so hard to believe because I know so but, many people who but, are more... But, oh, okay. but that study looked at the difference between conventional and going just a little bit more. Okay. So that's not like if you go home and start oh, doing okay. more frequent treatment and getting a lot more KT over V. They looked at the increment of KT over V that was available in the setting of the reality of the commercial medical world we live in and a three times a week schedule. So what is the minimum dialysis that patients should have? Is it three times a week? Uh, about three hours is the minimum that people are getting, right? Uh, approximately. And again, you have to uh, gauge the amount of uh, dialysis to the amount of clearance you need, depending on the size of the person. And how much output they have. If and, still, and if, if they have residual kidney function, yeah. they're still peeing. You take that, you add that residual function that you have in your native kidney to the amount of dialysis we're delivering, and you get this new calculated number in the kidney doctor's world. We call that the EKT over V. Oh, and that's the corrected okay. for taking into account count your residual kidney right. function plus what's being delivered and it should be normalized to how many treatments a week you're getting and some people have a lot of function only come to the unit twice a week so you have to calculate, calculate that differently that. for those people it's complicated is it, is it true that people who have transplants still don't have the same kind of kidney function they did when they were younger and not necessarily some patients have extremely successful transplants and they get almost back to a completely normal function where their right. serum creatinine levels are well below one so I tell my patients who come back with a transplant who had a creatinine less than one, okay, you're in the A-plus group, right, but right. you don't see a lot of A-pluses. Usually you see people whose creatinines are between one and one and a half. Their kidney function is 50, 45, 60%. And with that, they do quite well and have no residual complications, no consequences of having less than normal kidney function. Right. But you get a lot of patients who have a kidney transplant and their transplant may... My very first patient, he got a transplant, his creatinine went up within the first week and it's and it stayed there forever at 1.9 i have a lady whose creatinine was at 3.8 at her best after the transplant but that transplant worked for 12 years oh, and wow. she, so she stayed at 3.8 for 12 years yeah she didn't wow. actually lose that kidney so still she ended up with cancer and got chemotherapy but right. but wow. so everybody's everybody's, everybody's story is a little individual but can you live i mean you can't live a normal life with 3.8 right she Walk did on. she lived a, quite a normal life she didn't yeah. need any epigen she didn't need anything she really? wasn't anemic she just kept coming to my office every three months in for three 12 months? years and doing fine wow that's wow. that's encouraging because um i know that somebody said they had a creatinine of like 20 that we interviewed and i'm like how do you have a creatinine of 20 but he said he was very sick 
Yeah, and I can guarantee <laughs> that person is not optimal. Okay, no. so so going back to your original question, so I would have to preface everything by saying what's been considered adequate, so that you pass the level that's minimum, so that you're getting a good score as a dialysis unit. That's still associated with too much morbidity and mortality. Right, it's and, over twenty five percent. You know, I mean uh, mortality rates per for the first year. It's and it's and really the, sad, and people don't feel good. And the problem of the paradigm we live in in the way medicine is paid for in this country, you're not going to get people doing a lot more dialysis. The best outcomes were in France where they dialyzed three times a week but for eight hours. Eight hours. And those patients did remarkably well. And their record was published a long time ago and hasn't been beat since. You know, well, what's their, what's their mortality rate per year? Do you know? I don't recall, but it was in the oh, range. their survival rate. I have to specify, I want to talk about survival instead of mortality. So it's 70, 75% survival rate per the, year is at 25% there's, mortality. There's, 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 I think, was 92, 93. Oh, my goodness. So we okay. won't do the same thing here is it because of finances we won't do the three times a week eight hours a day well i'm just saying if you go into a dialysis unit today and you look at what they're providing you today they're providing you as much as they possibly can for the dollars they're getting and if you don't have some private patients supplementing your medicare medical population you're losing money in a dialysis business Mm -hmm. so we're really squeezed to provide the care that we're providing now and if nobody's talked about that before. Right. Well, no, it is. We um, actually did advocate for the increase in the composite rate last year. And it but they did don't come... have these adjustments. Like, say, if you're going to stay for eight hours, are they going to pay you more for that treatment? Right. No, they don't. But you got to pay the nurse for four more hours. You have one less patient in the chair of that shift. So the economics do not allow you to really do that. Well, when you think about it, it's $130 that Medicare reimburses for dialysis treatment on, on average. I mean, you go to the dentist and it's $130 for a, a, to have your teeth cleaned, probably. And that's 30 minutes. <laughs> oh, if, you, if you ask a, a, just a layman and, and you show them what we do in one dialysis treatment and you tell them what we charge for that treatment, they're just amazed. You know, They think that that treatment probably costs thousands of dollars because it's so complicated. That's what I thought. I got to tell and you. Then you. And then you look at what's really re- being reimbursed and what right. nursing salaries are, what the, you know, the social worker and the dietitian in a unit. And those are all conditions of coverage. They're you all have to provide, mandatory. You Whether have you to provide 12 a patients worker. or 50 patients in that unit or 400 patients, you still have to have all these basic requirements. And that's one of the things I think I think is wasted is is the social worker and the dietitian actually. I think if the dietitian came in once a week or twice a week and I don't even think you need a social worker to tell you the truth because they don't really do social work, psychological social work. Most of them are just travel arrangement people. Or well, they're helping um, find a uh help you with keeping your insurance and doing that's other a, matters. That's the single most important role of the social worker is to try to make sure that you have coverage for everything. And when you were talking earlier about your patient who was paying $400 for Sensipar, I mean, that doesn't happen in my world because I have my social worker all over that. We'll find a way to get the drug. And if we don't have any other way, we'll bring them the samples. But I use the social worker to facilitate to make Just sure basic care, access, yeah. But do you need a social worker, somebody with a master's degree in social work to do that? Uh, because of the, what the federal government has defined, the answer is yes. Yes, yeah. because you yeah. have to have a social worker to be able to get the payment You can't even have a bachelor's. You have to have an MSW. I mean, you have to have a master's in social work to be right. able to. Right, a master's and then 3,000 hours and right. whatever it is. So, you know, we all want to 
get by with the least we have to get by with, but the conditions of coverage which mandate what a facility has to do are very clear. And uh, you can't get a social worker or a dietitian for less than, say, $40, $45 an hour nowadays. Right. And, uh, even and then I think they skimp on the technicians, to tell you the truth, because I think some technicians are trained for three weeks and they get put in. You can't get a... We certificate with just three yeah. weeks yeah well now they just changed the law and all the technicians in the country have to take a test because there's a national certification now for dialysis technicians and you know i'm happy about that as a patient that there's going to be some testing but there's a lot of people who think they may not pass and that will be a uh, you know a burden on the dialysis facility because they'll might have some technicians and they're taking them to all these classes everything to get them to mm-hmm. pass the test and on one level i think wow that's great but then i heard some patients saying they heard their technicians saying oh i don't want to take the test i'm going to go find another job because they're afraid to take the test so it's kind of a catch 22 right. i don't think um, they make a lot of money the technicians do they I don't know what a lot of money is in today's world, but uh, the average technician's probably starting in the twelve, thirteen, fourteen dollar range and peaking out at close to twenty. Well, tell us a little bit. I know you are a huge advocate for um, home dialysis because do you feel that that returns people back well, to again, optimal? In the, in the context of trying to provide more dialysis, let's first say that every time you get on a dialysis machine, that first hour you spend on the machine, your poison levels were the highest. And so actually the machine is taking the most amount of poison out of you, of the toxins, in the first hour. And then the second hour, where your blood is a little bit cleaner than it was before, actually the amount is less. And each hour is progressively less. So if you look at where the biggest bang for the buck is, it's in that first hour. And if you can get more first hours a week, you would do much better than by having just more total hours in a week. So it turns out that six two-hour sessions will provide you more dialysis than three eight-hour sessions. Twelve hours gives you more clearance than 24 hours because of this phenomenon of the clearance getting worse each hour as you go through. So in that, combined with the financial realities of what dialysis units have today, you cannot really provide extended treatments. So you're either asking your patients to come in more times a week to the dialysis facility. The federal government doesn't want to pay for dialysis more than one extra treatment a month in most cases. So you're looking at the only way to get more first hours, more treatments per week is to do it at home. And with peritoneal dialysis, you kind of are limited to how much you can actually achieve in clearance so that you get to the point where you're dialyzing almost around the clock to get to even anywhere near what it would be to go on to a home hemo four times a week. And if you go five, six times a week, you start to reach where your physiology is approaching again, stage three or four CKD, where you're needing less medicine, your your, uh, diet could be more liberal, you certainly aren't gaining as much fluid between treatment, the treatments are easier to handle because there's less going on in each treatment, less fluid being removed, less toxin removal in per hour so things are more physiological and people just feel better and that's clear to me by looking at my patients yeah, for the you last can, few years. I saw Stephen was on home hemo and it was in like three weeks I could tell a difference. Yeah. It was literally. It was a huge difference for me. I can say that I ask, I ask my patients all the time. I, I wasn't convinced when I started. I asked them all the time when they come in. I said, would you go back to in-center? Is this really better? And their answer is universally, I would never go back to in-center. I no. always would stay on home, and I would encourage everybody, this is, I feel better. And it's also just the convenience of doing it when you want to. If you have 
a function that day and you could do it at night or you can do it in the daytime. Or you, it's not like, oh, I have to do it between 9 and 12. Right. Or I have to get up at 4.30 in the morning because that's the only available chair they have. Right. You know, so it's just more convenient to be at home. How do you deal with the access you know, um, sticking it six times a week. Has that been a problem? I'll tell you, the only access problem we really had is a patient who's allergic to the tape. And because he's doing the treatment more often in the preps, if you have patients who have hypersensitivity. But the skin problem is more frequent because you're applying the tape and things more often and the cleansing. But if you look at what happens actually to the fistula or the graft, the fistulas and the grafts do better. They last longer. You have the same hand putting that same needle track, following right. the same pattern. Do you do pattern. the buttonhole? For our fistulas, we always use a buttonhole. And it's like exercising. The more you use the fistula, the stronger it's going to get. Yeah. Right? I mean, the concern has been that you stick it more often, you're going to cause deterioration in the material in the wall of the fistula or the, mm. of the graft. But the opposite is true, that it seems like these... Builds uh, up scar tissue. <laughs> well, not just scar tissue, but it's, it's in the same place. You don't go off and tear it somewhere else. And once you've learned how to stick yourself, you do a better job than random people coming to you every day. And so it turns out our fistulas and our grafts last, last longer. In our program, we notice that there's very little graft and access problems. So, you know, a- adequate versus optimal uh Adequate dialysis is just kind of the bare minimum, really. And, and that's how I would describe adequate yeah. means you're me- meeting the, to the minimal requirements. Everybody knows that you know you're supposed to be at least a 1.2 kT over V three times a week. So if you can't keep that, then you're probably feeling pretty lousy and you're not getting anywhere near enough. And then when you move on towards optimal. Optimal dialysis would be a woman who can have a nine-month pregnancy and deliver a normal baby on dialysis. That happens with nocturnal dialysis in home. If you're listening right now and you don't feel good and they're telling you your numbers are okay, what would you recommend? If you, you know, we're looking at your patient's numbers and their K2 or B is good. Um, 1.4, 1.5, you just say you just need more dialysis? I want everybody to know that it is a spectrum. And when you start looking at getting more dialysis, it seems like the more you get, the better you feel. And there may be, like in that study that was done in the past, the hemo study, it may be that we just didn't add enough to make a difference. But if you start going to four or five, six times a week, what I found was my patients who went to four or five times a week, they came back telling me, I'm doing five or six now. And I'd say, why are you doing that? And they say, because I feel better. You feel better. And they felt progressively better. And then you had those patients, the first one who, before I was licensed to do nighttime dialysis, one of my patients on her own started doing that. And we immediately went and got our licensing. But she went on her own because she felt that I'm doing better with six times a week. I'm going to school, getting my degree. I'm working and I'm feeling much better than I've ever felt in my right. life. Right. Maybe I could do even more and make my life even more convenient if I just do this while I'm sleeping. And she came back saying, I feel even better. Better. And uh, does it reduce <coughs> the amount of medications you take? I, I think that it's clear that people who do nocturnal dialysis six to eight hours and in the past, all of that literature is with the Fresenius, the bigger machine, not the next stage. With a less efficient next stage machine, you can dialyze all night, but you don't get the same amount of maximal clearance you do with the Fresenius. With the Fresenius machines, the studies that are available who have dialyzed at night and done five or six a week, those patients have uniformly had 
improvement in the amount of medication they take, less epigen and ARNS requirement, almost no phosphate binder need, much liberal or diet, sometimes needing to take phosphorus-containing foods because they're getting so much phosphorus taken out. And then they're the only ones who we've proven have regression of left ventricular hypertrophy. In other words, the thickened muscle of a heart in the dialysis patient, which is almost universal now, it starts to go back to normal when you do home dialysis frequently at night. So those are things we know for sure. Quality of life improves uh, in all modes of home treatment, but the, particularly the drug uh, question has only been consistently proven in the patients doing nocturnal treatment. So I guess if your optimal dialysis is, is basically you should be getting enough dialysis to make you feel good enough to do the things that you enjoy and not saying, oh, I feel washed out. That's not optimal dialysis. If you feel washed out after a treatment, that's not optimal. And that's so often the complaint. So one of the things uh, is that you have the issue of the convenience. Another thing is, is that you don't just have to submit to whoever the caretaker is today and you have some control, not just convenience, but actually control over right. yourself. And the third is, is that you have the opportunity to maximize for the health benefit and more frequent treatment and get more treatment. So on adequacy, I would say to people that it's a spectrum and that it's a combination between how much you can get away with in your life and not ruin the other parts of your life versus how much better you want to feel by getting more dialysis. Right. And you could sit on a machine 24 hours a day, seven days a week and say, see, I'm, my creatinine is one, but you don't need to have a creatinine of one to have an optimal life. And so all of my patients who are doing at least five times a week on the next stage or having a, a, at least four times a week on a Fresenius, I think all of them are clearly better than they used to be. And the ones who seem to be the most normal are the ones who dialyze at night. And they really do use less medicine. We were counting the other day in the clinic. Nine patients came in and seven of them weren't getting any epigen or ARNS at all. And wow. so that tells you something. And so... They're do more you, physiologically back to normal. Do you find that, that they're working, that the patients who are on home dialysis are working more than the patients who are not on dialysis, well, they, are not on they, home dialysis? They naturally select that way. So the younger patients who are still wanting to be uh, active, go to school, still work, they, they love the idea of having the convenience and the control of their life, and they gravitate to home dialysis. And then we have the patients who have been around the block, been transplanted once, twice, have been on PD, hemo. They've been in the system for <laughs> 5, 10, 15, 15, you know, I have one lady who's been on home hemo for almost 30 years. And so the point being that if you've been around the block a lot, you appreciate what home hemo gives you. And right. you also know the difference between downtime and all the different parameters. And a lot of patients who've had transplants didn't really feel that good towards the end of that transplant's life. And they really kind of were sick during the last year or two of that transplant's life. And a lot of them choose not to go back on the transplant list because they feel they have excellent health on and much more predictable health on the home dialysis programs. The machines, the two different machines available, the next stage and the Fresenius, is the Fresenius, I'm not familiar with the Fresenius machine. Is it as patient friendly and easy to use as the next stage or is it a little bit more difficult? It's uh, significantly more difficult. So uh, the, the Fresenius machine is the typical machine in the in-center dialysis units. Just a little smaller. Uh, there's a smaller chassis on it. They call yeah. it the Baby K. But yeah. the Baby K is essentially still the Fresenius machine. Mm -hmm. And there was an issue with Fresenius uh, technology that they got dinged by the federal government. They had to take away their 
touchscreen panels that they had taken somebody else's technology, apparently. So they're back to the more traditional Fresenius machine, and for the home, that same traditional machine in a smaller frame. And that machine requires additional training and additional setup and takedown time when you compare it to a next stage. And the big thing is, is that the next stage is made of prefabricated cartridge that everything's already hooked up. Right. The dialyzer, the lines, and everything's already put right. together. You just pop it into the next stage machine like a toaster oven, close the cover, and then just put two tubings from the bags uh, of the fluid to connect to it. So then you turn on the machine and it primes itself. And so the next stage machine is pretty darn simple to learn and to set up. We typically train patients in eight to 13 sessions for the next stage. And for the Fresenius machine, 15 to 18 sessions. And then when you look at the time, the next stage machine requires much less time to set up. And then part of that setup is there's this 11 minutes where you let the machine prime itself. Right. The so, whole thing takes so, about 20 minutes. Yeah, so it's about 20 minutes. And if right. you go on our website, you can see somebody go through the whole 20 minutes start to finish. And you'll see the actual needle cannulation and all that. But the bottom line of that is, is that the next stage machine is more easy to learn. It's easier to set up, but it's less efficient. So you trade that off with... If you wanted to get the same amount of clearance as you were getting on a Fresenius machine, mm -hmm. you'd have to spend more time. Right. So it depends sometimes on your body size. If I have patients who are on the bigger side, certainly over 225 pounds, I'm definitely steering them to try to go to the Fresenius machine yeah. because I just think that the benefits of getting more dialysis will not be realized on the next stage machine when you're a large body mass. You just won't get the clearance. So... All the time when I look at my labs for the next stage, they don't look anywhere near as good as the labs on the Fresenius patients. Nowhere right. near. Now, but the patients say they feel just as good, though. Do, do you need a partner for the Fresenius machine? Can you do it yourself? Well, technically, you have to have a partner to be trained for home dialysis in uh, California. And we always train a, a troubleshooting partner. But almost all of our patients are performing treatment themselves. I have just two patients who somebody else actually does the treatment for them. Mm -hmm. So our Fresenius patients cannulate themselves. They set it all up themselves. Right. And so far, um, we're about half and half in our program. About half the patients are in Fresenius. Well, this is great. You know, so we want to go yeah. for optimal. Optimal dialysis. dialysis. And I think it's important that people, if they're not feeling good, you have to really be an advocate. And uh, I thank you for coming out and talking to us about optimal versus adequate. Well, thank you guys for the work you do, because uh, I think the topic you're talking about for the people who are listening to you, it's all dear to their heart. And uh, it's good to have people who have uh, their concerns out here promoting these kind of discussions. Yeah, well, we want to feel You didn't feel hear good. our show about how to cheat on dialysis uh, diet, you know. <laughs> I always say you do as good as you take care of yeah. yourself on dialysis. So yes. if you're cheating, you're cheating yourself usually. Exactly. We can control our own destiny. We can take charge of our health and ask questions about our medical options. We can form partnerships with our healthcare team. We can take steps towards self-improvement. We can be sensitive to the impact of our disease on our family. We can sing, dance, laugh, and enjoy our lives. We can appreciate today and look forward to tomorrow. We can help and support our fellow patients. We can pursue our hopes and dreams. We can make a difference.